that's really what the heart of it is for me, this project, is to bring a model for leadership that helps parents create a strong foundation for the next generation, and man, they need help. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Jane Hull. At the end of the day, the most overwhelming key to a child's success is the positive involvement of parents. Our guest today, my friend Stu Friedman, has had the remarkable responsibility of teaching people to be great leaders. He's the founding director of the Wharton Leadership Program at the University of Pennsylvania, an award-winning teacher who inspires rock star, adora- rock star adoration from his students. He's the host of the Work and Life podcast and the best-selling author of multiple books, including his latest, Parents Who Lead, which is just released and available now. Stu, welcome back. I actually think you're our first repeat guest on the Elevate podcast. It's so great to be here, Bob. Thanks so much. So when we talked last time, you've had a a long and and very impressive career focused on organizational leadership, but you've now, with this latest book, turned your focus to helping people lead in their personal life. Obviously, it's always been part of the equation, but using similar methodologies. So what drew you to the focus, I, I think, initially? What part of the Focusing on leadership when you started this work, did you start to realize the, the personal and professional connection? That goes way back. In the 80s, when I began my career at Wharton in 1984, I had done a large-scale study for my dissertation research at Michigan in the early 80s on how big companies cultivate leadership capacity how they grow their talent and how they select them for the top positions. And so I was doing a lot of research and practice consulting with companies on their talent management systems, their leadership development methods. I was instrumental in helping launch a number of the corporate learning institutes, which were just coming into vogue. And then I had my first child. This is now 32 years ago. And things changed for me as I realized that I needed to do something with uh, the skills and and access that I had from my training and my opportunities at Wharton to help people figure out how to integrate the different parts of their lives in a way that was going to make them more effective and better leaders in all the different parts of their lives. So that, that kernel was really there at the beginning of this shift, this pivot for me when, when Gabriel was born. So I started the Work-Life Integration Project at the Wharton School in 1991, as well as the leadership program that very same year. So I'm working on these two issues in parallel. We're going out into the field to study people who are effective at integrating the different parts of their lives. We're doing large-scale research on people's hopes and aspirations for their lives and their leadership. And I'm also working on helping people how to learn how to be better leaders and better team players. Well, being a man at Wharton in the 90s, talking about families and children, made me a kind of, you know, an odder person than I already am. So I kind of stood out and got a lot of notoriety for that since there weren't many men tackling that issue. And the work in, in the leadership sphere was, was really taking off. So in the late 90s, the CEO of Ford Motor Company recruited me 
to be a part of the infusion of new blood to try to change the culture of Ford, a hundred year old iconic manufacturing company. And he asked me to be the head of leadership development for the company worldwide, which I did. So I, uh, my wife and I, we, we were both graduate students at Michigan in the early eighties. We uh, now 15 years later moved we're now with three kids into a, a big house with uh, cars from Ford. And, you know, whereas as graduate students, we had you know an 800 square foot little A-frame in the lower middle class part of town. And now we're, I'm a fat cat senior executive, Bob. And man, things were different. Well, one of the things that happened there was that I was able to bring together with an amazing group of people there a set of resources and ideas that married leadership development and work-life integration. And that's where we created Total Leadership, which is about improving performance at work and at home and in the community and for yourself personally, following the principles that we've been discovering in the field and that I wrote about in a Harvard Business Review piece, one of the first in the field of work and life. It was called Work and Life, the End of the Zero-Sum Game. And it it identified these three principles that were the drivers for this program to be real, to act with authenticity, to clarify what matters most to you, your values and your vision, to be whole, to recognize and respect all the different parts of your life, your work, your home, your community, and yourself, and to be innovative, to be continually experimenting with how you get things done. And we, we tried that out at Ford, first with uh, mid-career high potentials, and people went crazy. I mean, it was it was like a festival that to have our top-down mentality pressed on these folks to say, look, what we want you to do in this program is to identify what you care most about in your life and to articulate that and to get support for really clarifying that and to help other people do the same in a peer-to-peer -peer coaching environment. We want you to identify who the most important people are in your life at work and elsewhere learn how to talk to them and to listen to them so that you find out what they really care about. And then from all that, figure out some creative ways to make things better for them and for you and for us as a business. Yeah. And they did it. And we, we created all kinds of economic value in the millions for the business. People shifted some of their attention away from work and towards the other parts of their lives. And they performed better at work as a result of being smarter and more focused and less distracted. And of course, they were healthier and happier. I'm sure you've been following the trend of companies testing out the, the four-day work week and seeing sure. actually higher productivity. Yeah. No, that's what I've, uh, I've been observing from uh, the work that we've been doing for decades now. And it's so gratifying to see that these ideas are really starting to take hold. So I brought that program back to Wharton, was teaching it with our executive MBAs and in our programs, and then wrote a book about it. A couple of years later, it's in a bunch of different languages. We bring this content to companies around the world and to individuals around the world. But many of them would say to me, this is awesome, Stu, but you know, my wife is telling me that she wants to do this with me, or my yeah. husband, is, or my partner, my friend. And I said, just you know, have them get the book. I'll sell a couple of other copies, and they'll just go through the exercise with you in parallel. And they were like, no, 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 you got to write this thing for us as like a leadership team. So getting that persisting message coming at me. And then the editor at Harvard Business Review Press said, Stu, I know you've written two bestsellers for us. We need a third book. 
And here I'm approaching 65, Bob. <laughs> Way off for you, I know, but I'm telling you, it comes fast. And I said, look. I think Peter Drucker wrote all of his best books I know. after, you know, that, 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 you can always hold on to that example. Well, that is an inspiring <laughs> one. You're right. But I was not really up for it. And she said, no, no, we need a book for working parents and we need you to write it. And I said, well, if you let me do this with a research partner, somebody I've been working with for 15 years, who is a millennial mom with two kids under 10, a tenured professor at DePaul. Street cred. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So you got a boomer grandpa, that's me, and a millennial mom. We partnered. And we, we went into the lab. And what we did was to create a version of this program for working parents who are partners in parenting. But we take the same basic principles and apply them to the work of parenting. So the focus is you know, mainly on children, but it's, it goes well beyond that to create wins, not just for your kids, but also for your respective careers, as well as for your community and yourselves personally. That's what we went into the lab to figure out how to do. And the result is this book that takes people through this program, which had great results and has compelling stories of the people who went through it to illustrate the different exercises that we help people to go through. The other thing that kind of tipped the, uh, the scales for me to go forward with this book project, though, was uh, as I was approaching 65, my kids asked me, so what do you want for your birthday, Dad? And I'm thinking, well, there's no material things that you know, are not relevant, really. How about this? How about if you write to me about what you would like me to do with the rest of my productive life. Hmm. Like, what would you like me to focus on? And that could have been a book in itself. Well, you know, I I may get there, Bob, (laughs) Uh, if I'm persuaded to do another one, it may be just building on this, this idea, but the kicker here, and I recommend this exercise to anyone at any age, don't wait till you're 65 was to say how by my doing that, thing that you want me to focus on, how would that help you and make your life better? So I asked my kids to do that and my wife did it too. And that was just a profoundly helpful exercise. The other piece of it was, and you have to give me an hour to talk about what you wrote. So yes, the professor gave his family an assignment and it was fantastic because I just learned so much about how they see me and what they want for my future. And you know, one of the themes was, you got to keep going, Dad, and we want you to focus on children. That's really what the heart of it is for me, this project, is to bring a model for leadership that helps parents create a strong foundation for the next generation, and man, they need help. So I'm interested in... You've done, you know, you and I are both big fans of the words integration as opposed to balance. And a yes. lot of a lot of your work has been focused on right how to make the family and the work pieces work together. What's interesting though, and I think where this book goes, and I'm curious, it, it sort of breaks the blood brain barrier of saying, okay, you're you're trained to be a world class leader at work. <laughs> so let's mm-hmm. just talk about integrating your life. Like, how do you, or why are you not? <laughs> Or what is different about those leadership principles when you bring them home? You know, it's one thing for people who just don't make the time and make the priority, right? I think that's where that's where some of the integration comes in. Of course. But but what when they just when they you know, the stuff that they are they are this patient, 
goal-oriented and, and just a different set of rules for leadership at home, right? It's exactly right. And we heard that from a number of people and continue to. Well, I don't want to be that, you know, that jerk micromanager with my kids, but you step back for a moment, you take a look and you realize that that's what you're doing. You know, just do as I say. I don't care what the reason is. I'm your father. Shut up. This is what I want to know. Does that person do that at work or do they not do that at work? Because either answer is interesting. Well, <laughs> you know, no, it's, it's the paradox that you point to. One of the things that I've seen over these many years, these decades now, is that the way we approach leadership is so different now than it used to be. And you know, most people understand that to be effective as a leader, you've got to identify what matters most to you, listen to the people around you, and help move them forward to a better tomorrow. And that's not something that you can command people to do, generally speaking. Right. And that requires patience, as you say. It requires skill in being able to evoke from people what they really think, not what you think they think. And a real compassion, starting, of course, with yourself, but for the people around you. And you can never be too good at that. And we continue to grow as leaders over the course of our lives. Yes, yes, yes. And most people now are exposed to those ideas and try to practice them in the workplace, but they don't see until we just tell them, hey, as a parent, you're facing the greatest leadership challenge of your life. Let's use some of the things that we know about leadership from the science of leadership, which I've helped to develop, and apply it to your role as a parent. And they're like, uh, yeah, that makes sense, actually. We should do that. And that's pretty exciting for people who have never thought about it before. It occurs to me that the power dynamic is different, right? So even if you are the nicest, most kind, you know, leader at work and who never yells, the person understands that they could be fired, <laughs> you know, at any time and probably behaves accordingly. Mm -hmm. Your children know that they can't be fired. So there is a different power dynamic, right? Absolutely. Yes. Now, the children, once they get smart enough, realize that they have all the control. Yeah. <laughs> because they're going to succeed you if, if all goes well. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to be the ones who take it forward. And you're counting on them right. to do that in a way that feels good to them and makes you smile. So, yes, it's completely different in that sense. But there, there's a lot about leadership that makes perfect sense right. in applying it to the work that we do as parents. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, 
even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, and I think leadership's the key word. So Ben Horowitz, did you read the book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things that he wrote years ago? I'm afraid I missed that. Yeah, so he had an analogy from Andreessen Horowitz that to sort of what he realized as he started growing bigger businesses and, and kind of moving along the leadership food chain, he mm-hmm. equated to baseball, like the difference between being the third base coach versus the manager versus the front office manager versus the GM and, and you know, the level that you sort of stood back. I think one of the biggest problems today and where, where the whole concept of your book, Parents Who Lead, meets now snowplow parenting, not helicopter parenting. We've gone beyond that, you know, where, where now it's just let's push things out of the way, mm. is that it seems like more parents do need to lead. You need to manage a two-year-old, right? But I think people are really struggling in, in the micromanagement, like generationally, of, of how to start letting go and becoming, you know, going from the manager to the leader to the coach to the mentor. By the time your kid's 22, you should not be a manager um, right, of them. I think a lot of parents see their job as, as manager. And so where does that shift happen from, you know, you're, you're managing a two-year-old, you're managing a seven-year-old. But mm-hmm. when you start talking about a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, an 18-year-old, what are some of these principles that they need to bring in from the workplace and delegation that they've practiced all those years? Well, it's a great question. I would just caveat my response with, you know, the realization that some kids need help for a longer period than others, right? Absolutely, yeah. And everyone's different. And that's one of the uh, important ideas throughout my work on leadership and as a parent. In fact, that was a motto around our house when the kids were growing up. Uh, my kids are now you know, late 20s, early 30s. But when they were growing up, we would say all the time, everyone's different. Right. And that's true work, right? You give people what they need. Of course. Yeah. It's each according to his need. Right. Absolutely. And but you make a really good point. Yeah, you know, when they're younger, they need a lot more um, clarity of expectations and boundaries as to what's acceptable and what's not. But pretty early on, you start teaching values and purpose in life. And the more conscious you are as a parent of first identifying your own values, those of your partner in parenting, which is the term we use, parenting partnerships, which come in many, many, many different forms. Yeah. And your vision, you know, where is it that you're headed and why? And um, we have each participant in our workshops and people who read the book, they'll see a bunch of examples of this. You write about what you're doing 15 years from now in an ideal day in the morning, afternoon and evening. And who are you with? Why are you with them? What are you doing? And what's the impact that you're having? write yours, your partner writes his or hers and share those, talk about it. We give all kinds of coaching tips on how to talk about these 
these ideals and visions of the future, especially when there's differences and there always are. Yeah. And then come up with a collective vision. And that's, that's the launching part. That's the be real piece is to clarify what you care about. And just doing that as a parenting partnership helps you to be more conscious of how you bring that to your kids. And you can start pretty early with that. And the, and the sooner they have a clearer sense of their own values and aspirations, what they've learned from you and the other ways in which they've been educated about the world and philosophy and what matters in life, the easier it is for them to live independently and make smart choices. So I don't know. Is this answering your question, Bob, or not? Yeah. And, you know, two things occurred to me as you said that. One is how much the systems just come from these Rockefeller organization planning systems, right? Kind of bringing that home, the vision, values, goals, you know, all the stuff that the best organizations do. It's sort of the same framework. The second is, and and I really agree with the values. There was a story I heard and I I love this story. It was a guy, uh, Kevin Cruz was saying on a podcast and he was talking about, because I think you and I have talked about how, you know, values can take the place of a lot of rules, right? As a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And, And he said that, he was dealing with his 18-year-old daughters who were driving in curfew. And they said, well, what time do I have to be home? And instead of saying, you need to be home at 11.30, he'd say to them, you know what? I'm really going to worry uh, until you're not home. Uh, and, you know, mom and I worry about you and we're not going to sleep. So, you know, <laughs> what time do you think that... So it was not about, right, the rule for the rule. He explained the why and the value. Yep. And, and so what time do you think um, that you can be home? And I think she said 11. And she came home at 10.50. And, you know, what he was saying was that, you know, had he put a rule out there, a really hard rule, it would have just been about, oh, like this line in the sand. And really, he just, he explained to her the why and that he's not going to sleep. He's going to worry about her. And then her, her viewpoint from that, from a value standpoint was totally different. Well, the the part of the book that people seem to be most resonant with and most excited about is the, the central part of it, which is the heart of it. And that's the dialogues with the most important people in your life, starting with your kids. Yeah. And so we help people think first about why are you a parent? Why did you become a parent? What is it that children need? So neither Alyssa nor I are child development theorists, but we're organizational psychologists. But we did a lot of work on sort of curating the literature on child development and uh, synthesized it to the basics of what children need. And then we ask them separately first, the parenting partners, and then together to explore and to, you know, write about and talk about what does this kid need from us? What does this one need? What does this one need? And, you know, finding common ground on that. And then, age appropriately, having conversations with them, either separately or together, depending on what they think is going to work best, where they listen. Here's what we think is important to you in terms of what we bring to your life. And that might be, you know, for a four-year-old, what does a good mom do? Here's what I think a good mom does. does how does that sound to you? To an 18-year-old, which is, you know, a very different conversation. You know, what, what's most important to you in your life? Here's what's most important to me in mine. And part of that is your safety. So it's a different conversation. But we skill people up with the tools that we know work in terms of how you build trust, gain a better understanding of how other people see the world, take what I call that leadership leap where you kind of try to get inside their hearts and minds and see yourself through their eyes by thinking about it, talking about it with your partner and then saying, okay, this is what we think is important to you. Do we have it right? And to your point, Bob, it's empowering. It conveys the message to the child that their view matters 
and that you're listening and that you care about what they have to say and that you're going to learn from it and hopefully adjust. And that gives them a greater sense of uh, responsibility, ultimately, which is the goal. And I assume implied in this, they cannot have their entire life planned out for them as to what is important for the parents versus well, the child. This is a great <laughs> dilemma for us as parents, right? And as managers, you yeah. know, or executive leaders, this is what I want. But of course, you're never going to get that from any employee or from any child. It's right. just not going to happen. So part of the, you know, the growth for us as parents and as leaders is to discover passion, uh, compassion rather, and how to express it. Well, passion too, but to develop what you referred to at the beginning of this conversation is that patience that comes from real understanding about what this person is facing, what they're trying to get done, what's really important to them, and how you can support them. But there's always some disappointment yeah, uh, because no one's going to be exactly who you want them to be, and and that insight is actually a, a liberating one. That and that occurs to me that that's a fundamental difference between work leadership and home. Is that I, I think the leader at work wants the best out of their people, wants the best for them, mm-hmm. but not in such a primal way, or not to make up for their own failures or things that they wish they had done. I don't think their mentees in the work world get the same sort of baggage Mm-mm. that you'll see in youth sports and stuff on the on, in the family life. Oh my gosh. Now you're recalling some some very terrible times of Little League 60 <laughs> years ago, Bob. Let's not go there. But <laughs> from when I was a kid. So you, you, you ain't see nothing uh, <laughs> in terms of professional youth sports these days. And as someone said to me last night, checkbook, we call it checkbook baseball, checkbook basketball. You know, everyone is in an academy, a private league. It's a, it's a whole new animal. Well, you know, I did raise kids uh, in a suburban Philadelphia here. Um, And I have to say, one of my greatest leadership achievements, Bob, was to be the co-founder of the Lower Marion High School Ultimate Frisbee team in 2005 when uh, my two boys were in high school. So if you want to get into a sport that helps to cultivate citizenship as well as great athleticism, we should talk about Ultimate Frisbee. But perhaps we don't have time for that today. I'm not sure. We'll save that for your third visit. Okay. So, Stu... You know, when we talk about leadership and and parental leadership, and and a lot of what you talked about before was sort of including the whole family unit in that, and the who are we, what do we want, Mm -hmm. what are our goals, what are our vision. I heard Brene Brown say recently, which I just thought was really well said, goes to this, that when she was talking about her schedule, and I think her husband's a doctor, and the kids want to do sports, and she said, I I believe that there are kid-focused families, there are parent-focused families, and there's family-focused families. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're a family-focused family. So one of our examples was we said to our kids, you know, what, what works for all of us is, is you can pick two sports or two activities this semester. And that's what we're going to do because that's kind of what best supports the whole family unit. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about your kind of how that dovetails into your thinking and your work in this book. Yeah, it's a useful uh, distinction. It's entirely focused on what are we going to do that's good for us and each one of us. So through the the work of clarifying what matters most to each parenting partner, having meaningful, fresh conversations where you discover anew the people around you who matter most to you in your family, but also in your business life, as well as your friends in your community and extended family and caregivers. So you we ask and invite and help to train people, and the book helps you to do this, 
to have meaningful conversations with the people around you to get a better, clearer, more realistic read on what you're actually dealing with every day, not the fantasies in your head about what you think people right. expect of you, but to get smarter about that, which is an essential leadership skill. And then to use that knowledge to develop experiments, as we call them, for four-way wins is a term I used in total leadership to describe improved performance in the different parts of life, to make them family four-way wins. So what can we try that's going to make things better for our relationship as a parenting partnership, our kids, as well as our respective careers and our communities? And so people come up with all kinds of really fascinating and fun experiments to do, and then they try them and they measure the results and they learn more about what it means for them to go forward to a better tomorrow together as a family. There are six different kinds of experiments that we've classified according to you know, the research that we've done on a bunch of people who've done this, and we describe and illustrate uh, these experiments from generating quality time. A lot of people realize from stepping back to look at who are we, what do we stand for, what kind of family do we want to be, what kind of world do we want to create, right. what do people really need from each other. They realize we need to have some time where we're not on our cell phones when we are together doing something meaningful that involves us, where we get to be together undistracted. And that ranges everything from uh, going for walks together, playing you know, board games. One family did an experiment. The, the dad was a, he worked at the Bureau of Land Management and a, he's an environmentalist. And he, uh, he arranged with his family to do what they called a hike and pick experiment where every weekend they'd spend a couple of hours walking around the neighborhood cleaning it up so he could help to teach his young kids the value of environmental stewardship. And that had all kinds of ripple effects on other relationships in his life and in his partners as well. To you know, coordinating logistics in fresh ways, sharing calendars, some basic stuff that people come up with. But then there are some that really move you. Like there was one family they had a child who had a serious medical problem, a rare medical disease. And both of them are, are professionals uh, in the tech world. And mom was reluctant to talk about her child's illness. Her boss knew about it. Yeah. But she was always reluctant to talk about it. Well, what they decided to do as a, as a couple was to do a fundraiser for this rare disease. And they engaged the, their whole community, including she went forward at work and brought it out, sort of came out about having this aspect of her life. And one of the things, one of the many wonderful things that came out that resulted from that experiment was that her boss, uh, she was concerned about her, her next promotion. Her boss saw in this initiative her courage and her capacity to inspire. And it changed his perspective on her leadership potential uh, in a positive way. So there's all kinds of things that people come up with once they, as you say, step back, look at what's important, engage their people, and try something new. Yeah, because what I thought about in that thing, I think a parent-focused family, like mom and dad's jobs are paramount and come first, that, that, that's the non-work-life integration, right? <laughs> that's just work. But it right. occurs to me that, that I think there are probably equally as many problems with the kid-focused family, where in the name of achievement, the parents are 
are running around taking, you know, kid A to this class and this program and B and, and everyone's exhausted and yeah. you don't have that time that you're talking about that actually is important. I think that, right, there's a perception, oh, I'm spending family time, but it's actually not family time. It mm-hmm. is it is divide and conquer kid time. And, and I think that equilibrium is missing. You know, one of the things like we're, we're a ski family, but uh-huh. we have a lot of this in the spring and fall, but we're a ski family in the winter. We get in the car on Friday, we go up, we say no to a lot of birthday parties. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it is actually having to say no, like, thank you. Sorry, we're not coming sure. back. Like, this is our, our time together. And I know we probably get some dirty looks or, or, or hey, but if we, if we said yes to all of these various obligations, I don't think we'd actually have much family time. I think yeah. time spent dividing and conquering with kids is not family time, right? Totally agree. And what you've done, because you're a conscious human being and you think about these things and talk about them and and lead in the different parts of your life according to these ideas, you're making choices about your most precious asset as a leader, and that's your attention. Where are you going to invest? And that, of course, requires sometimes saying no. A lot of times. (laughs) Well, yeah. And that's in the service of your, your purpose. You know, we can't serve everyone as leaders. We have to make our choices and, and take our stands as to what really matters. And that's part of what you're teaching your kids, of course, in making those kinds of choices, because I'm sure they're aware. And they probably have to deal with the same pressures like, hey, come on, Stephanie, aren't yeah, you supposed to come you to back, my birthday party? For New Year's? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what systematic changes do you think are necessary to improve the status quo for working parents today? Well, another benefit of... Uh, you know, having accumulated all this gray hair, Bob, is that I have seen really significant change in the norms and expectations of young people having, you know, now tracked these issues for 35 years or so. But we have so far to go as a country. Our policies, our social policies, our government policies, particularly at the federal level in terms of family medical leave, childcare, how we uh, prepare and educate and reward our teachers are just Neanderthal compared yeah. to our competitor nations. And while it's, it's certainly true that men are more a part of the game now and are taking seriously the idea that they want to be engaged fathers in a way that their fathers weren't, they want to have it all. The young men of today, the young fathers of today are, are like the young mothers of uh, the prior generation who thought they were going to have it all. In our research, and we've tracked this longitudinally, we see that young prospective uh, working mothers today, they're they're a little less sanguine about the prospects of having everything. They realize that choices are necessary, but they're also more optimistic about having partners that get that and that are willing to work with them as partners. Now, is that happening? Yeah, a lot more than it used to. When I was younger, or even you know, when you were you know much younger, but it's still way far to go. So, vote for the people who are going to provide childcare and family medical leave and good pay for teachers. That's going to improve life for every working parent and, of course, every child. Yeah, I didn't. I, I don't want to get political, but I was going to ask you because I mean, I think the burden of this is put on companies today. And well, you know, if you're Google, that's one thing. If you're a twenty-person small business. You know, that's another saying, look, I'd love to give everyone leave, but I you can't can. operate my business if of course. <laughs> half the people are out of here. So you think this is a, this needs to be at a, a society slash government level? Absolutely. No question. It's a huge, 
human issue. It's not a women's issue. And that's one of the things that I've seen change. It used to be cornered into like, oh, that's a women's issue. In fact, when I first started getting into this 30 years ago, people would say to me, I had a senior faculty member, great guy, really supportive of my career. When I decided that I was going to start the work-life integration project and focus on this issue, he, he sort of pulled me aside and said, Stu, I don't know why you're wasting your time on this women's issue that nobody really cares about. Wow. I'm like, yeah, I won't mention his name. He's a long guy. He's a wonderful guy. And I, I hold him deep in my heart, but he was wrong about that. Yeah. And it's a good thing I didn't listen to him. But you know, nobody would ever think to say that now. So right. that's progress. That's progress. But we still have so far to go. And as you point out, the private sector has had to be in the vanguard here. And all, all the innovations are happening at the private sector level, mostly, as you say, in the companies that have the resources to do it. So, you know, in certain sectors, particularly in tech and finance, I mean, they're just tripping over each other, trying to be the most family friendly that they can possibly be. Because as you know, better than me, what people want now, particularly young people, is the notion from their companies that their lives as parents or whatever it is that they do outside of work are taken very seriously. Yeah. And with the big companies, it is both the resource and just the number of bodies they have to move around and, and cover. I mean, I know a lot of small business owners and, and they struggle with this, particularly in Europe. You know, if you're 10 or 20 people say, look, I'd love for everyone to have three months leave or to have that, but I, I can't pay them to not be here, <laughs> you know, and I have to fill that role and have half right. my company out or, or I'll be out of business when they, when they come back. Yeah, it's a lot easier if you're in, uh, you know, a Scandinavian uh, or French or German uh, company because you've got so much support from the state for that. And it's in those countries throughout Europe where working mothers will assume that it's not their fault that things are breaking down in their families, but rather it's the responsibility of the collective, of the state and of, and of their businesses. In contrast to American working mothers, there's great research on this from a sociologist named Katie Collins, Caitlin Collins, who did this cross-cultural research. American mothers blame themselves. Hmm. It's breaking down because I'm somehow failing. Right. And that, that hurts everybody. So part of what we're trying to do with this book is to, is to give people a model and a set of tools with easy to follow instructions and examples for how they can even in the context of a non-supportive environment, whether it's in their state, city, our country, or in their company, you can find greater power and control and sense of purpose if you claim it as a leader, as a parent. Uh, no, absolutely. I, and I'll ask another question that probably borrows from business, which is, you know, any good leader team, leadership team needs a good meeting cadence system. What does what the parental leadership team ideal meeting cadence look like from your research and the work that you've done? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't know that I have a, uh, a systematically, you know, evidence-based answer to that particular question, but what I've picked up anecdotally is uh, a conversation on the weekend. One of the best practices, and it doesn't have to be long, you know, 15 yeah. minutes. One of the best practices I've observed is this and any family can do this, if you can wrangle the kids together for 15 minutes. You just go around the circle and ask this question. What's the biggest problem you're facing this week, and how can we help you? Hmm. And just everybody says, here's what it is, and here's how you can help me. And everybody does that, including mom and dad. 
or mom and mom or whoever it is. And that signals to the kids, everybody needs help. We're here to help each other. And of course, you get some practical insight as to like what people are wrestling with and where to prioritize your attention. As long as, long as it's not all the biggest problems aren't other people at the table, then the conversation should go up. <laughs> what about, again, mimicking? I've heard like people's annual planning session, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. I mean, have you seen, did that come up? Sure. A lot of a lot of our people in this program, they realize, oh, you know, we need to do the kinds of things we do at work, like look at our annual budget and yeah. and and think about what our, our spending priorities are and where we can cut costs and what are the most important investments we can make together and why that's important and how that fits with our values and where we're going together. So that becomes an activity that people do a lot more deliberately, consciously, mindfully, as a result of stepping back from the, you know, the fray, the reactive, exhausting, next thing on your to-do list, which you know, just wipes people out and makes them forget why they became parents to begin with, to look at the bigger picture. That's what it takes. Interesting. So, you know, there's definitely more flexibility today in the workforce, but, but there are a lot of people who still operate you know, on, on hours that they really control. So how, how can people who, who aren't in leadership roles, who maybe have their professional schedule dictated by the company or manager, create that better integration when, when they don't have as much control over that time as they would like? That's a really important issue that a lot of people are kind of flummoxed by. You know, I can't because they won't let me. And what we find is that when you help people to, again, clarify what they care about most and then talk to people around them, including their bosses, all right, here's what I think is most important to you. Do I have it right? And get really clear about it. What people typically discover from those dialogues is that what other people expect of them is actually a little bit less than what they thought and a little bit different. Yeah. If you do this right, you're going to learn you know, that what you think other people are going to say no to is, is actually not what they're going to say no to. And in fact, what they're going to say yes to might be something that you would be uh, afraid to ask until you hear them say what they really want. And so that often leads people to feel a little bit more confident and less fearful and anxious and guilt-ridden from uh, holding them back to pitch a proposal. So let's say you're my boss, Bob, and I say, based on what I've been thinking about and what I think is most important to you and to me, really to us and our, our working relationship and what I bring, what I'd like to try for the next month is to be offline on Wednesday afternoons after three o'clock. No. <laughs> and let me tell you why I think that's going to help you, Bob. That is the key point. And, you know, we talk about this in our organization. We are a client service organization, right. you know, talking about why is it good for them? Like, no, you know, no one cares about why it's good for you. How do you make it about why it's good for them? Well, that's the whole concept of the four-way win. And that's the leadership mindset. And so when I pitch that to you with, here's why I think it's going to be good for you. Can we try it? Let's just try it for a few weeks. And if it doesn't work out for you, well, then we'll go back to the way things are. We'll try something different. Would you be willing to try that? So I've already thought about how this is going to be a win for you. I'm going to listen to you when you think I'm you know, wrong about that. And I'll adjust my plan because I'm trying to make this work for us. That's how a leader thinks. And that's what this four-way wins mentality is. And it's very different than the balance mentality, which unfortunately still pervades most people's thinking because it's all about, as you were pointing out, 
all right, boss, I need to be off Wednesday afternoons. Well, if somebody came to me with that, I'd say, what? What? Yeah. No. And in fact, when I first got to Ford, I inherited this small team of people at the Leadership Development Center, and I'd just written this big Harvard Business Review article, Work and Life, the End of the Zero-Sum Game. I'd written an Oxford University press book on work and family, allies or enemies. And one after another, they come into my office and like, hey, Stu, here's what I need. I need Fridays off. And I'm like, are you crazy? (laughs) I have a boss now for the first time in my life, and he is pounding on me. He's a 30-year veteran uh, of the Ford Motor Company. He's an officer of the company, and he's expecting massive results from me, and you're telling me you're going to take something away from me? What little resources I've got? Huh? What? No. Why don't you go back and think about how what you can do that helps you helps me. And let's talk about that. And that's the magic question, Bob, is to ask yourself, how's what I'm asking for going to be actually helpful to other people? Uh, Absolutely. And and, right, that example before, if you said, hey, I need to take that afternoon off and have that quiet. And then I feel like I'll have the time to hit all the project deadlines I'm not able to hit now because I'm, you know, getting disrupted all day. Suddenly it becomes about, you know, why it's good for you. Mm Mm-hmm. So if we're looking forward, uh, when should we expect uh, children who lead to come out? Is that 2025? I think it's going to be grandchildren who lead. Grandchildren who lead. That's what I'm going to be focusing on now, Bob. Uh, You know, my career goal right now is to be a caregiver for grandchildren. Uh, So I don't know. That's a good goal. That's what I'm aiming for. I'm getting there. Wind wind them up, spoil them, return them to their parents. Something like that. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So I'm uh, going to alter my normal last question Uh uh, uh, here, uh, which is usually what's the personal and professional mistake you you learn the most from? But in this context, I feel like we should say, what's the parental mistake that you made that you learned the most from? Oh, gosh. So many. I still make them. Um, For a lot of people, it's a systemic one I've, I've found or, you know, something that happens over and over. Well, yeah. Uh, so from the beginning, I was a pretty conscious parent and, and, you know, writing about the stuff, learning how to teach people models for how to care for themselves and their families and their business life. So I was, I was pretty good at boundaries, you know, to protect time with my family, but I still struggled, especially like when the kids were young with, you know, I was ambitious. I had a lot of uh, dreams for achievement and opportunity to do really exciting things with my work. And I, I struggled with the notion of just being present, being psychologically present, even though I was physically present with my kids, I would, I would often find myself worrying about some business problem, some work problem, some puzzle I was trying to solve or some difficult person I was trying to, you know, get off my back and not really fully attend to that five-year-old in front of me who was just looking up to me and all she really wanted was for me to give her my full attention and love. And I, I know that I didn't do that as often as I, as I could have. And that's a regret that I have. And I know I'm not alone in feeling that way because I hear that. You're reminding me of a conversation last night. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was gonna say, yeah, you never know actually when your kids really want to talk or ask questions or whatever. And sometimes it's at a time when you're just not there, but the times don't, they don't come that often. 
No, I know. They don't. They don't. Did I answer your question, Bob? You, you did. And thank you. Because now you got me sad. Well, don't be sad. All right. Well, let's, we'll, we'll send on a high note. So where, where can people learn about uh, your work and the new book? Uh, so I'm a, I'm a Wharton professor. I've recently become emeritus. You can go to the Wharton site, find out you know, what I've been up to in the history and all. But the best place to go is totalleadership.org. Totalleadership.org, where you can find information about all my books, including Parents Who Lead. You can also get free copies of my podcast, including the great interview I did with the amazing Bob Glazer not too long ago, and a bunch of other really interesting people. There's free videos, chapters from the books, et cetera, totalleadership.org. All right, Stu. Well, thanks for coming back and talking about the new new book. This is really important work, and I'm uh, I'm glad you stuck with it despite being chastised by uh, <laughs> <laughs> by the people in the department when you told them what they were, you were going to do. Thank you, Bob. It's been, really been a pleasure. Much appreciated. To our listeners, thanks for tuning into the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Stu, his books, and the Work and Life podcast on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode or the podcast in general, uh, I'd love if you could leave a review. It really helps new users find the show. All you have to do if you're an Apple podcast is click on My Library, Elevate, scroll down, and, and hit review. So thank you again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.